and welcome to the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I'm here with... Don Sam Alden. And we have a special guest. May we introduce Jen? Jen, could you uh, introduce yourself to our wonderful listeners? Hi, I'm Jen Chanks. Thank you so much, you both of you, for inviting me to join you. I am a Chinese-American woman, grew up in urban, multicultural Oakland, California. And when Dawn said she was looking for people to join her on this podcast, I was like, yes. <laughs> I, I, I grew up with goddesses and gods and multiple folklore stories of women warriors as a child. And this is very exciting. That's wonderful. What, what was it that drew you to come on once Dawn invited? What was it about the feminine divine? Because that was, for the listeners, this is our feminine divine uh, series and exactly. we're just talking that's so what was it that drew you to come on and say hey yeah i'd love to talk about that well first of all i'm a multidisciplinary storyteller so i'm a poet i'm a filmmaker i am a writer so if you want to find some uh fun stuff you can find me on instagram with my dog at <laughs> jen dot and dot potato so it's jen dot and dot potato and from there you can fall down the rabbit hole and see everything else i do uh, so i love that your dog is uh yeah it's jen and I'm potato sorry, jen and potato so oh, it's j yeah so it's j-e-n period a-n-d period potato and he, he steals the show and I joke that uh, since having him, I've had to learn to live with a white male. So as a queer femme, feminist, lesbian of color, woman of color, person of color, Asian American, you know, all the gazillion identities I come from. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I reference to my my elders who put together that book called The Bridge, uh, This Bridge Called My Back. Uh-huh. And uh, so coming from that one color tradition, I, I am very aware when I live with a very entitled male dog. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that tradition. What is what is can you tell us a little bit about it? Now, you grew up in Oakland? Yeah, I grew up in Oakland as a uh, daughter of Chinese immigrants. Mm -hmm. So as the eldest daughter, I actually spoke Chinese first. And oh, wow. as, oh, as okay. you hear, I speak English quite good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I did speech and debate in high school and college. And no one has ever told me, you know, ah, oh, you speak English so well. Um, no, I am technically an English as a second language child, even though I've never been uh, put in a different class for that, because I learn languages quite quickly. So nice. Sesame Street taught me Spanish and sign language, and my parents insisted on me speaking Cantonese Chinese at home. And by the time I got to preschool, I was speaking English. And, and so being the firstborn of an immigrant family, they were quite uh, what do you call it? Strict. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and making sure I didn't forget my roots and that I could speak with my grandmother. Right. So 
Yeah, the the women matriarchs are 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 strong beings. Yes. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. yes. and my mom decorated the house with all these statues because as part of the Chinese culture, I say that I'm not religious per se, that Buddhism is part of Chinese culture. Mm-hmm. And in the Chinese culture, you have a gazillion holidays that I can never remember as a kid. And, and there's uh, paintings of little Buddhas running around. There's statues of Guan Yin, who is a protector goddess. And I didn't know what she was a protector of. I just knew mm-hmm. she was a goddess that was good to have around. Mm-hmm. And she's a very big and important goddess. <laughs> and, and then we always celebrated the Harvest Moon Festival in the full moon of October-ish. Mm-hmm. And that's when you had moon cakes and we talked about the moon goddess. So goddesses were always part of our culture and folklore. And it wasn't a religion per se. Right. Uh, right. And so by the time I got to college and I'm reading about the Latinas and their tradition of multiple goddesses and La Llorona, I was like, wait a second. There's other cultures who have goddesses <laughs> because I grow up in a white dominant uh, patriarchy and I, I'm, I'm stuck with all this Christianity and Catholicism around me. So it was really heartening to read about other people's cultures and that there are indigenous gods and goddesses. And mm. uh, I really appreciated La Llorona because yeah, as a Chinese American, I was told to suck it up and not cry about things. Oh, and wow. I was like, wait, there's a goddess devoted to crying. And that's why we have rivers and streams and lakes. That's awesome. <laughs> nice, nice. And you said, um, you. I remember when we were speaking earlier, you also said that there was another sort of goddess source when you were growing up and that was the women in martial arts movies that you watched oh thanks for reminding me yeah they they were dressed the same as goddesses (laughs) the flowing silky robes and dresses and these women heroes were i mean to be worshipped and and the joke amongst queer Chinese women that I know is that the tomboys often wanted to date those uh, woman warriors from the martial arts movies. And I, being a femme, actually wanted to be one of them. And not only did they fight and have all kinds of martial arts skills, flying from tree to tree, think Mm -hmm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That movie is an American Hollywood uh, box office hit, but that's the kind of uh, storyline that we would actually hear of, or maybe they're more soap opery for the low budget TV versions. Right, <laughs> and, right. and the and the women warriors not only fought, but they had such gorgeous hair, and they had such intellectual upbringing. They did, uh, you know, beautiful brush strokes with with their watercolors and their calligraphy. And oftentimes they would play some musical instrument as a virtuosic musician. So these Chinese goddesses were well-rounded Renaissance women. And Mm -hmm. and sometime in my 30s, I realized why I couldn't settle into one career. And I remember that as an eight-year-old, I had this wisdom to say, why are there only Renaissance men like Da Vinci and Michelangelo that we study 
why are we not hearing about Renaissance women? And now since Don and I spoke, I realize my concept of Renaissance women must have come from these women warriors in Kung Fu movies who were talented at everything. (laughs) Funny you said that I was just watching probably last weekend, Enter the Dragon. And mm. Angela Mao is in that, and she is, I mean, she was one of, Enter the Dragon's one of my all-time favorite films, because I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. So, and I, it was one of the times where I was focused in on her as a, as an action actress. She was just amazing in the sequence. She plays Bruce's sister in the movie. But who would be some of the women in Kung Fu films that you really liked growing up? Like, who would be a great example of someone like that? I'm so terrible. I didn't learn to read and write in Chinese, so I didn't have those names. Uh, mm-hmm. You can definitely look at, what is her name Michelle Yao? Who, yeah. yeah. Who, I mean, to this day, I'm so pleased she finally got recognition for her amazing acting abilities. I mean, she was a, a stern and scary, but... Uh, three-dimensional mother-in-law in in crazy rich Asians. Mm -hmm. And now she has her own Star Trek series. Uh, But before that, I mean, in, in crouching tiger, hidden dragon, she does her, all her own stunts. Mm -hmm. And these martial artists are trained and do all of their own action moves. So yeah, I mean, to be smart and athletic and completely well-rounded, that kind of uh, divine feminine energy is what I wish all little girls can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that it was, a you know, unlike I think some of the other guests we've had, your concept of the divine feminine was shaped by, by uh, almost secular forces, that there was this constant presence of representatives of the divine feminine all around you, but it, it was almost in the concept. It, it was almost in the. Every, it was in the every day of media. Right. So right, yeah. because I had access to beta and VHS tapes in the eighties, <laughs> we would go to Chinatown and there were these video stores that you'd chase down and these were were bootleg recordings from satellite dishes or straight from Hong Kong. And so we got media from Asia that celebrated the Asian culture, whereas had we not lived in an urban city where we had access to Asian media from Asia, it wouldn't have been the same. I, right. I can't imagine a kid in a small town who didn't have access to uh, a bustling Chinatown. So, I mean, like being an urban kid has really shaped my my life. I, I do meet Asians from suburbia who didn't have this kind of Chinese Asian pride that I grew up with. And so it influenced you on just like a practical level on a daily basis. What was it like as a teenager at <laughs> high school? How did it, how did you find yourself taking those influences in terms of its you know, warrior women and the feminine divine just as a woman growing up you know how did it shape certain things and certain things you chose and then chose later i guess in college and later on that's funny i was a terribly awkward teenager so i don't know <laughs> that i was tapping into my feminine divine energy as a teenager <laughs> 
I was a big nerd. I hung out with the speech and debate theater kids. I was not athletic. I did not get Kung Fu lessons. In fact, the first Kung Fu lessons were in grad school where I gave myself Kung Fu lessons. Oh, how did um, you give yourself Kung Fu lessons? Yeah, well, I had to go find a Kung Fu studio nearby and, and, uh, it was awkward having <laughs> Kung Fu teachers who were not Asian because I would want to learn from an Asian Kung Fu master. And so it wasn't until I came to L.A. Uh, and then most recently in my 40s uh, that I found a Wushu Tai Chi uh studio that offered lessons and i was like i want to learn staff i want to learn to walk with a big stick and fight with it um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that with from teddy roosevelt and transform it there you go. well you know, you know what's interesting there's a style uh wing chun again i'm gonna be my mm -hmm. fandom is gonna come out again but wing chun was a style that was actually created by a woman mm -hmm. uh, yes uh, that's bruce lee's style and i know there are places here that offer uh, Wing Chun, because I was looking into it before the world changed and we couldn't really interact with other people. So that's actually a style you might look into in terms of its movements and how it was developed for for women and for close in fighting. Yeah, I'm I'm trained in dance. I took dance lessons in uh, dance classes in college, and yes, it's for me learning body movement is easier to learn from a woman because we have a different center of gravity. And, and so I would say that my Afro-Panamanian dance teacher helped me find my body as a young, awkward adult. So I, I would say, you know, I've been influenced by all kinds of divine feminine energy. And in dance, we, we learn to celebrate moving from the hips and it's no better than to see it from a female body with a female pelvis, whereas men have a top heavy shoulder, uh, kind of structure. I actually teach uh, rehab fitness and I get referrals from physical therapy um, clinics and acupuncturists to rehab people who've been through surgery and breast cancer and any kind of knee and hip pain. And, and so I also have a, a perspective on the body uh, in terms of the feminine divine energy. So I was telling Don earlier when we spoke in a different conversation that I, I've actually become more aware <laughs> of the divine feminine through my body as an adult. And as a kid, I just took it for granted that there were goddesses and I didn't realize that other people don't grow up that way. <laughs> right. Right. How does, how does it come? How do you become aware of it through your body? My, from my male standpoint of curiosity, what, what is that? What is that that you've sensed? Well, so a lot of times, certain traditions will say that the left side of your body is the receiving side and your right side is the masculine pushing out side. So to receive is to allow and to let uh, gifts and invitations come to you. Whereas the masculine way of American dominant society is like, you go be aggressive and go get it, you know, and it's, it's a lot of pushing around. So I think as a body healer type person, we have to be aware of our body responses, any kind of somatic release issues, it, it, that we have trapped emotions and trauma in our bodies. So if your left side is a little stuck and you don't feel it as 
strongly or clearly as your right side, perhaps, there's a blockage that you need to heal, like an issue that might go back to an old car accident or a childhood sports accident that you might want to say, huh, not only was that physical, but perhaps I've, you know, blocked out my feminine side and not let in abundance and invitations and resources. And, and so it's, it's, we, we talk about yin and yang. And since you're already a Kung Fu fan, Sean, um, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen the white and black symbol of the yin and the yang. You've got to use both sides of your body. You can't be only right side dominant, which is what uh, white, white dominant culture would, you know, push as the, the way to climb up the corporate ladder and be successful is like to really go get them. And, and sometimes it's more about allowing and letting in and, being more team oriented and, and, and that kind of divine feminine side of things. It's, you got to hold your wealth with both hands not just one. <laughs> nice. Right. nice. And so as, the, sorry. As, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm just going to mention what Jen uh, said in our previous conversation that I thought was just, that had never really a, occurred to me on a deep level before is that, you know, if the left side of your body is the goddess side, the receiving side, your heart is also on the left side of your body. Yeah, we aspire for balance, but functionally, we are asymmetrical, like the organs, your heart, your, you know, stomach and digestive system and the large intestine that holds your poop, you know, finishes (laughs) out the left side. So if you feel gassy on when you're stretching your left side, that's pretty correct, pretty common. And mm-hmm. if you feel a little nauseous when you're stretching your right side, oh well, yeah, <laughs> throwing up, nauseous. <laughs> Sometimes you get these deep stretches or releases and you're like, whew, not to worry. If it just blows over like the wind, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> We all need to release and not be pent up. You know, nobody wants right. to hold in a fart. That's what I say. Right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, that sense of that, that even though we, we think of ourselves as symmetrical, we actually are almost a little built a little bit left side dominant, which is mm-hmm. the feminine receiving side. Yeah. yeah. Could you say more about that reception? Like, how does that play out? At least, you know, just on a personal level for, and then for you too, Dawn, just in terms of the idea of that the feminine means receiving, means welcoming in. Uh, it's an interesting concept because I, what I'm thinking of is the what we're dealing with just as a people now, as a country, right? right? We're, we're right. not uh, a very feeling of imbalance, of aggressive imbalance. And so, you know, are there ways we can think of to welcome, to balance that back to receiving, welcoming, bringing things in, bringing the feminine divine out. I, I think uh, putting women in charge of everything would be a really good place to start. Um, <laughs> I actually meant to do this. But. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I like but the sound great. effect, Sean. This is there great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, that we live in a very, to go back to the yin and the yang idea, we live in a very yang culture, Mm -hmm. right? It's very aggressive. It's very 
um, fast and hard and bright and loud and, you know, especially being in an, in an urban setting. When I came to LA, I really felt how Yang this city is, you know, with that's interesting. Cause I coming from New York to LA, it felt less Yang. Well, you also live, you live by the sea. Yeah, true. You've got a huge source of yin right near you. And I live here in the valley where it's, you know, hot and and bright and the hot you know, breath of yang is blowing exactly, upon you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the Santa Ana winds are blowing their yang all over me. And, um, yeah, when you live by the ocean, you get the the moon, which is the moon goddess, right? In many cultures, the moon is feminine. That you're getting the waves, the high tides and low tides are completely affected by the moon cycle. And the ancient cultures of the Jewish tradition and the Chinese tradition, at least, those are the two I know, uh, have their original calendars are in the lunar calendar. Right. So, so that just tells you how important and, and feminine that lunar power is. Right. And, and so, you know, the feng shui consultant that I, um, several feng shui consultants I tried out, they're all like, oh, it's important that you have water elements so great that your apartment complex has a pool in the middle that's helpful. Otherwise, you're in this concrete urban jungle and not enough, you know, water yin energy. Yeah. Yeah. So Don, you, you could, you know, set up some water fountains and uh, balance out your house. <laughs> yes. Yes. I need to uh, get one of those little internal fountains that runs so that I can hear the sound of flowing water. That would be, that would be very helpful. Yeah. And to answer uh, Sean's question about balancing yin and yang, it's, I, I say there was one time in my early 20s where I was oblivious to my body and oblivious to my spiritual self is I was trying too hard and trying to intervene between uh, a, a big fight between a sister and my mom and I ended up twisting my right ankle and somehow my right ankle is the telltale alarm sign, <laughs> alarm signal that I'm giving too much. So, you know, yang energy isn't just being aggressive, but it's also giving. So if you abuse the power, your body might get injured on that side. I wanted to ask you, you said Cantonese was the language that you learned. That was your first language. Mm -hmm. So were your, your family from, is it Taiwan? Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So you're from, well, I get all excited because again, it's Kung Fu. The land of Kung Fu films. Um, <laughs> yes, the so, Hollywood of Hong Kong. Yeah. It is. It's like, oh, man. So tell me, I, I'd love to hear, because it's a place that I've been always been interested in, but how do how do these concepts you're talking about, you know, you talked about how, you know, the world of America seems like it's much more yang-based and more aggressive, more driven. What's What is the world of Hong Kong like? Because my impression of it is that you do get this really active, you know, island city kind of a thing, you know, where you've got this, this a really active culture and climate and all these sorts of things going on, which makes me think of frenetic energy. But what, what is your sense of it? What were your parents' sense of it? What's the, what is that culture like in terms of its balance? 
Well, first of all, the parents are super Americanized now. I don't think they could uh, groove with the very freneticness that is Hong Kong. I describe Hong Kong from my 1996 experience when I went there as an adult. I've been there a lot as a child, but you know, when you're a kid, you can't really analyze or absorb what's going on. Uh, except that I love the double-decker buses as a kid. And <laughs> that's a very <laughs> English-British colonial influence. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what Hong Kong's history is, it was a territory of the British colonial uh, empire. And so my mom actually was trained by the English ladies to learn how to be more feminine. And so as a child, I was super rebelling against femininity <laughs> so, you know uh tomboy at heart feminine on the outside struggling with all of that so hong kong when i went in 96 as a young college student i was like wow the only thing i could compare it to was new york and it was i called it like new york on steroids and, oh, wow. and my wow. and my college apartment was a luxury square footage compared to the footprint of what would be a condo uh, that a typical Hong Konger lives in. And, and so I was checking out the PhD programs, you know, back then I was thinking I would get a PhD in economics and do something practical and stable as opposed to being the creative that I am now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I interviewed in, you know, informational interviews at the Hong Kong university and all that. And they said to me, you know, Hong Kong's a great place to do a PhD thesis because our economy moves three times faster than the U S. Wow. So what I'm telling you is based on 1996 knowledge. I have not kept up with Hong Kong uh, news since the Chinese uh, takeover because mm-hmm. a lot of Hong change, right? Yeah, so- a lot of Hong Kongers are very pro democracy, freedom of speech, and all of that. And the current news of the Chinese government response to de- uh, de- you know dem- democracy protesters is very sad to me. So I, I have to kind of avoid reading about Hong Kong because it, there's a lot of repression and and a lack of civil liberties happening right now. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so their economy was super fast, such that the, the professors say, come to your thesis here. You'll get so much information that the U.S. is you know, three times slower right. than, the, than the Hong right. Kong economy. And you'll get some lessons that you can apply to policy in the U.S. Yeah. Did you still see that sense of that um, yin-yang sensibility and culture there as well, though, even within that, that kind of energy was there? Well, uh, Hong Kong is a trade center. And with the Western influence of being a British colony and being super trade oriented, I think a lot of people go through life doing what they do. And I don't know that they sit down and think about the spirituality besides what is fed in the pervasiveness of Chinese culture, which is you have goddesses and gods, you know, protecting your house and your businesses. And we have folklore, but do you think about how it addresses your personal life? Uh, A lot of people will hire feng shui consultants for the grand opening of their restaurant or when they move into a condo, 
but then shortly after you kind of forget about all of that so right get caught up in your daily life yeah yeah hong kong is particularly westernized so i i can't answer your question sean i'm sorry just to be honest i was just curious about how these things play out i mean one i'm curious about hong kong because it's a place that i'm fascinated with and i think is amazing in terms of having just read about and seen it and just find it exciting but just wondering how that's there what i what i'd ask you then is taking this this cultural construct that you've been able to be part of and experience looking at where you know the culture around us now and just what you're doing as a creative person how are you bringing those that concept of the feminine divine into your creativity in terms of what you do and what you want to share with the world so one thing is I did not become a regular meditator until I got to LA and here we are in the land of creatives. I've actually lived in San Francisco and I moved to LA from New York city. So, Oh, where'd you live in, uh, as a New York? I always do this. Uh, anybody comes from New York. <laughs> yep, yep. Where did you live in New York? Where did you live? So I moved from one gayborhood to another gayborhood. I lived in Chelsea and now I'm in West okay. Hollywood. <laughs> well, I'm from Staten Island, just so you know. Yes, the ferry is lovely, but I wouldn't like to have that as a regular commute. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's not always, it's not a regularly active, if you get it too late, you just have to wait a long time. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so now you're here and you're creating, and so how does this come through with what you're doing? So I started to say that I didn't become a regular person about meditation and spirituality, until I got to LA, and I think part of it is age, part of it is, you know, how do you find your muse? <laughs> yeah. So, so just uh, Ray Bradbury had a fantastic quote. I saw him at a book fair in the first year that I was here before he passed. And he said, if you have a, I'm not quoting him perfectly, it's something of the sort of, if, if I have a problem I can't solve, I just go take a nap. And that tells you that you'll solve it in your sleep and you'll come up with the answers when somehow better when you wake up instead of being frustrated about it, you know, trying to tug that's, apart something. And, so and I, well, that's, that's exactly what I do. I <laughs> give me 15 minutes to nap and I can figure something out. Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. So here, here's an American guy, you know, indirectly telling us the wisdom of how he solves his creative problems as a writer. And I was like, wow, what a great piece of advice because I've been taught to, you know, stick to it, you know, put your nose to the grind. That's the American culture, right? Like figure it out. Try harder. Yeah. No, (laughs) but sometimes more effort isn't actually successful effort. Right. So, Mm. so just in Ray Ray, Ray Bradbury's wisdom, that tells you, huh, we have all this unconscious, subconscious stuff that we can't really access sometimes until you take a nap. Or uh, I've had an excellent art therapist, and sometimes you do something artistic to try to express something that you can't really express in words. And so you build a sculpture, you paint, you weave, you knit, you crochet, you do something different that may not be verbalized sometimes and you'll be surprised at the wisdom you collect and it could be just as simple as a collage so 
Yeah. Uh, being in LA, I've been exposed to a lot more new age work, but I, I did get started in my early 20s reading, you know, new age Buddhism because it was the perfect bridge of philosophy that understood my Asian culture upbringing and it put it in American culture language. <laughs> so if anyone else out there is struggling with being from different cultures, uh, I, I think New Age Buddhism is very accepting and open to all kinds of diversity. And I, yeah. I've seen people here take on Buddhist practices where it's a super multicultural study group. Uh, I, I'm not pushing Buddhism. I'm just saying that's for, as an example, you know, something that bridges the East and West and, and that bridges the yin and the yang and, you know, gives you an idea of meditation. Yoga is another great one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the Eastern cultures have this foundation in Buddhism. And, and whether you, you meditate while exercising or washing the dishes or laying down or jogging or taking a shower, just that mindful breathing <laughs> helps you tune back into yourself. And you're like, can I feel my breath in both of my nostrils or am I only breathing through one lung and one nostril? Mm. So the simple question of that, am I breathing from both sides of my body is a good start to kind of balance your yin and the yang. So that's your wellness tip for the day. Very cool. Thank you. I, right now I'm trying to figure out if I'm breathing through both of my nostrils. And I can't really tell. <laughs> well, there's a, a great yoga exercise where you use your hand and close up one nostril. Yes, yes, oh, yes. yes yeah. And then you breathe a couple breaths through one nostril and then close up that first side and then breathe through your second side. And if you do like eight or nine or ten rounds of that, then you try to see if breathing through both sides of your nostril can happen without you trying. There we go. Right. So sometimes you just have to do little exercises to prime yourself, like prepare. I'm I'm a musician. I've taught piano since I was 14. And um, I say I'm the youngest retired piano teacher that's been pulled <laughs> out of retirement. So if anybody's looking for piano lessons, I started teaching piano again. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, quarantine, you know, people want yes. to do more music. It's and true, I, music true. is such joy. And piano is particularly one instrument where you have to play both hands. Right. Which, so there you go. You're, you're finding balance. And uh, I say for right-handed people, you got to learn some left-handed songs to build up your strength in your left hand. It's just like being an athlete. You're, you're doing your push-ups and, um, and, and jumps with your left hand to get strong. But mm -hmm. if it's always being passive, playing the support role, then it doesn't get the action to make your hands as balanced and agile as you want. Right. So yeah. there's yeah. your piano analogy of your left and right, yeah, getting yeah. all of that. It's <laughs> a, a great one. Is there a particular project you're working on now, something that you want to share with everyone or, uh, or something you're interested in, in developing more, maybe something you want to explore that maybe is tied with that kind of like balance and that. Well, Part of my interest in joining, um, uh, in responding to Don's invitation to join this podcast was, I'm starting my own podcast, and it's called Woke, and it's called Wokealicious, 
<laughs> Thank you for the sound effects. Well, Galicious, and I'm making sure that I have a diversity of all genders, all different ethnicities, backgrounds, international Americans um, as guests in my uh, speaker series. And You're local- in the right city for that. Yeah, well, actually, a lot of my guests don't live in L.A., it's from <laughs> that too. Okay. So, I have old friends from San Francisco or my grad school days that I, I would love them to share their wisdom. Uh, Wokealicious is about the fact that we are never done. We are always learning. You're never just woke. <laughs> you can't read one book and say you're woke, and you can't have one this uh, stereotypical phrase, I hate to use it, but you can't have one black friend and think you're cool. Um, (laughs) So honestly, to be aware of a diversity of perspectives is my contribution to the podcast world. And I have access to fantastically genderqueer, transgender folks who are different kinds of community leaders. I'm making sure I cover different kinds of religions that people come from. I'm not a religious person, but I know it is important to people uh, to hear from different perspectives, like from a Quaker or a Christian and how they deal with being queer and working in social justice. So yeah, I, I feel like your podcast is, you know, promoting my values of feminist (laughs) ideals so i'm excited that we're sharing knowledge with each other (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah i want to i want to and this is an awkward transition so here we go awkward transition (laughs) (laughs) um before we wrap up i wanted you to i wanted to uh, you to tell the story just as sort of an example of feminine power versus masculine power. I remember you talking about that lecturer. Yes. (laughs) Can you tell that story? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that delighted you. Yeah. So here I am at a large university and I've been mostly presented with, you know, male professors and when women professors come along that I can go take, I I definitely want to jump at it. So I was exploring women of color feminism and post-colonial feminism. So I was like, that's not my major, but let me go find a class in the women's studies department. And this fantastic Asian Vietnamese woman professor named Trinh Minh Ha, one of the few women of color Uh, professors on campus Mm -hmm. (laughs) she comes on and we have these giant lecture halls easily anywhere from 150 to 800 people in a lecture hall those of you who have been to a small liberal arts college I envy you Um, (laughs) when you're in these giant lecture halls if you haven't been in one there's all kinds of terrible acoustics of people rustling their backpacks and their notebooks and it's just this like terrible noise and so here's this petite asian female of power who's our professor and our first class you know some people they bang on the 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 podium or they yell to get our attention no she gracefully glided across the stage elegantly just stood there quietly 
And it was her way of attracting our attention. So instead of demanding our attention, she used her feminine divine power to welcome and attract our attention. And I was like, oh, that's an example of power I haven't seen before. <laughs> like, right. wow, I want right. some of what she's drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have what she's having. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that a rare of... role model of right. somebody who was just so in her power and, you know, small in stature, small physically, but big in energy, right? Like she right. was being big in energy by being quiet. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. I love that analogy of not, not demanding power, inviting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, can I, at, at this point, I just wanted to know if there was maybe just as we kind of tie things up a little bit, could we maybe get what we call one more thing? We sometimes, Jen, when uh, we end our, our broadcast, we ask the our guests and our, we also ourselves one more thing we'd like to leave the listener with about this particular topic. So I would like to ask you. If you could tell me your one more thing you would like everyone to take away from this, having heard you talk about um, the feminine divine and its influence on you. Well, I'll, I wish I had some time to think about this, but the thing that comes to mind. <laughs> just, just anything that you feel in your heart is something you'd leave someone with. It's no, you don't have to. We won't, we won't quiz anyone on this afterwards. So. <laughs> Well, I'll just give something super easy that everyone can do. I mentioned the breath exercise that we have in yoga that as an easy way to tune into your left and right. Um, I'll, I'll give people this other piece of wisdom that can help, you know, start your day off less frantically, a little bit more grounded and centered and in tune with yourself is when you take a bath or a shower, you're being surrounded by water. And some of my best ideas come in the shower. And I would ask my therapist that, like, why is it I get these great ideas while I'm in the shower? And and this was my therapist in my early 20s. She's like, well, the water, you know, gives you a certain kind of different energy. And, and then there's the rhythms of the shower, right? The pitter-patter of of the shower and, and so you get to tap into your your subconscious so if you don't have time to take a nap to solve your problems go right. take a shower <laughs> and maybe you'll come up with a new storyline or answer your own questions nice okay, nice how, how about you Dawn? um i would say that the thing that jen really made me think about and i want to pass this you know invite our listeners to think about it as well, is that if you think about the feminine divine, not only as a, you know, as like goddess with a capital G, but if you think about the feminine divine as the divine energy that is feminine, then it is all around us all the time. And tapping into it is as simple as becoming aware of it and tuning into it. Mm -hmm. That's nice. I like that. I, I would just leave the listener with this, uh, which is 
you can't go wrong watching Michelle Yeoh and Kung Fu movies. That's all I have to say. So, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Watch, watch more. <laughs> all right. So on that note, um, I'd just like to thank Jen for joining us and sharing her perspective on the feminine divine. Thank you so much. Oh, this was so much fun, both of you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and Dawn, as always, thank you for taking this journey uh, with us on this Absolutely. broadcast. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. This is the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. And we are we have been talking about the divine feminine. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. <laughs>